Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more attention, that just need a little more love. And our movie today is a fun one because not only is it a fun movie to talk about, but I have an especially fun host to join me here. Um, The movie we're going to talk about today is the 1993 baseball movie, The Sandlot, which one of the most beloved baseball movies out there, kids movies, family movies. Not one that I was especially fond of the first time I saw it, but it grew and it has this reputation now that it's just absolutely one of the most beloved movies out there. And it, it's, it took a, a couple viewings and a couple years for it to grow on me because I didn't grow up on it like a lot of people did. That's one that I kind of caught up on later. So that's the movie we're going to talk about today. And my co-host, all right, we are... We are making history today on Staff Picks, as I am officially bringing on my youngest co-host, and you guys will love this kid. He is a kid that I know from Little League. I have said before that I used to coach Little League. I coached for 20 years. I was a player agent. I just was involved with Little League you know, for many, many, many years. It was a big part of my life, and when my son graduated out, I kind of retired, but right before I retired, I got to know this kid, Joe, who was a couple years younger than my son. And we have a uh, quite a history together, and he would be the first person to tell you he is a walking baseball encyclopedia. He knows so much about baseball history, and uh, he's just very, very uh, wise and mature and well-spoken for his age, and I really wanted to bring him on the show. He's only, I believe, 12 years old. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Welcome to the show, Joe O'Regan. And yes, I am 12 years old. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, Joe, I have to paint a picture so people understand why I brought you on a show like Staff Picks. Do you remember the first time that you and I really met? Um, The first time that we really met was, um, I can't really bring that up a little bit, but we've done scorekeeping talk together. <laughs> I was going to, I'm totally going to bring that up, Joe. So here we go. We're going to delve into that. You cool with that? Yep. Okay. Joe, when I first met him, was nine years old. Were you eight or nine? Nine. Nine. And Joe knew how to keep score. He knew how to score a baseball game, correct? Yes. Oh, and I, I loved that so much because that's what I used to do at your age. I would go to baseball games with my dad in the Seattle in the Kingdom, and I'd keep score. And I was just a little kid, and it was such a, a nerdy, smart thing for a kid to do. Like, I wouldn't even watch the game half the time. I'm too busy making sure I have all the, the notations correct. So when I saw Joe, a little nine-year-old, doing this at a Little League game, I'm like, I've got to know that kid, because that kid is probably smarter than most of the kids I know in Little League. I still get the programs at Angel Games and score keep those as well. <laughs> now, okay, now we're going to talk about the great uh, uh, broadcasting duo of Joe and Coach Mario. Do you remember those days? I sure do. <laughs> okay. i, I got to paint a picture for you guys that I would sit there in Little League. Again, my son was has aged out. He's 13 by now, and I'm the player agent at this Little League, and I'm sitting there, and I would broadcast the games. We'd have these all-star games, and I would sit there and kind of announce, now batting number four or whatever. And Joe, my little sidekick, would come sit next to me, and we would literally be a broadcast team, right? Yes. 
yeah. So we'd be sitting there, and I barely know this kid. I just know he's this really smart, sharp kid who knows a ton about baseball, and he likes to talk. And we're just bantering. Like, we're just sitting there, and I'm like, so, Joe, looks like uh, the pitcher's lost his fastball. What do you think? And he'd be like, well, Coach Mario, I think maybe you want to bring in the left-hander here to face the lefty on the on-deck circle. And I'm like, who is this kid? He's reeling off banter like this with a grown-up he doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing off that too. <laughs> but that was fun. You had fun doing that, right? I imagine there aren't many I definitely did. Yeah, there aren't many coaches that kind of do that with a kid these days. Just sit there and talk about baseball like that. Yeah, I mean, I would just talk about baseball a lot. I I literally am on baseball reference a lot. <laughs> okay, let's let's allow you to build your resume here. I have called you a, a walking baseball encyclopedia. Why don't you give people a picture on like how much you know about baseball, how much you love baseball. Because I'm curious myself to know exactly what depths you have reached here in your baseball knowledge. I know about maybe 40 to 50% of all the MLB Hall of Famers. Okay. I follow stats every day, like Mike Trout's on-base percentage now, which is over 450, mm -hmm. and he's hitting over 300. Um, got walked the most, and um, well, I mean, he's just a great player himself. Some other things, like, I just follow a lot of its history behind it, like, Roof's called shot, and we still don't know if that's true or not, because I don't have any evidence behind that. Mm -hmm. um, Joe Carter's walk-off homer, Bill Mazeroski's, and the list goes on. Now, who's your all-time favorite player? Is it still Mike Trout? I would assume it probably is. All-time? Um, by skill, I definitely will take the kid on that one, because he's a lefty and I'm a lefty, yeah. Um, but I am actually, um, I know this pitcher on the Angels, if y'all don't know him, I just said y'all because that's what he says a lot. Um, his name is Cam Bedrosian. Mm -hmm. He's number 32 right-hand pitcher and a reliever for the Angels. Mm -hmm. We just have a really good connection off a very long story that started four years ago. So you met him, you know him in real life? Yes, he knows me and I know him. Now, do you know his dad used to play as well, right? Yes, 1986 Cy Young Award winner for the Phillies, or did I get the year wrong? I think you're off by a year, Joe. I'm going to say it's 87, but that, very impressive that you even knew that. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, very, very rare for a relief pitcher to win the Cy Young Award. He was one of the rare ones, and then 87 was the year when all the hitters were so good, there was like literally no good pitchers in the National League, so Bedrosian snuck in there. Yeah, along with Mike Marshall. Now, my favorite player of all time, Ricky Henderson, good old number 24 from the Oakland A's. I would assume you know who he is, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> so, you've established your expertise in the baseball movies here, or b baseball in general. Baseball movies, like, uh, I will tell people, I had approached Joe's mom a while back. I said, hey, I would love to put this kid on a podcast because he's fun to talk to and he knows baseball. I'm like, what baseball movies do you think he knows and Joe's mom is like, well, he's literally standing here imitating all the players in the Sandlot, so I'm guessing that would probably be the best choice. <laughs> is The Sandlot your favorite baseball movie? Oh, it's up there with a lot of them. My favorite movie is Rookie of the Year, though. Okay, Rookie of the Year. Have you seen uh, Little Big League? We did that, an episode on that already. I have not. Wait, is Little Big League like the little um, kid manager and they lost to like Griffey and Johnson? Yes, he manages the Twins. Never mind, I did watch that movie. Okay. What other baseball movies have you seen over the years? I'm curious. Mm, one of the most recent ones I've finally been able to watch is Field of Dreams. 
Mm-hmm. I've been able to watch that. I've watched Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. I've watched The Natural, The Sandlot, obviously. I would love to see The Benchwarmers, but I have not seen that yet. And I, I think that's actually all the baseball movies I've seen so far. Have your parents let you see The Bad News Bears yet? Oh, Bad News Bears. Yeah, that's one of them. Okay, that that's my all-time favorite movie. I mean, any baseball or otherwise, that's my all-time favorite movie. When I was a kid, I watched that movie endlessly. Although another one you mentioned, The Natural. I don't know if you knew this. Like when I was a kid, you play like travel ball. You're like an elite player, right? Yep. Now, what position do you play? I try to play every. I want to play everywhere, <laughs> but since I'm a lefty, it kind of limits my spots. I'm a pitcher, a first baseman. And if I were to ever play the outfield, it'd probably be left or right field. I will. I'm going to throw some trivia here at you on the spot. Let's see if you can get this. Okay. There was a. It's it's well known in baseball. I'll tell the people, all my listeners, this. Left-handers are not allowed to play third base because they have to make a funky throw. Right? You don't play third base. <laughs> no. Okay. Back in the '80s, there was a famous Yankees first baseman that they did put at third base a couple of times just because they needed a player. Joe, would you know who that famous Yankee first baseman would be? My guess would be Don Mattingly. <laughs> and you are correct. Very good. You have passed the test. You are worthy of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Well, what I was saying is that The Natural. I watched this movie, The Natural, when I was a kid. I was a home run hitter. That was my thing. I played center field, and I was the guy that always hit all the big, long home runs. And every single game when I played as a kid, teenager, in high school, I would watch The Natural before the game. I would always watch the last 30 minutes of The Natural just because I wanted to see him break the lights with the home run. So I am well-versed in baseball movies, and that sounds like something you'd probably do as well if you had a movie that you liked like that. Yeah, <laughs> Um, funny thing is that he hit the home run with the bat that wasn't even his. Spoiler. That's right. <laughs> what was the name of the bat that he hit it with? I actually don't, I don't remember that one. Oh, I stumped you? Oh my god. Wow. It was a, the Savoy special. That was the, his bat boy's bat. Yeah, that's what it was. I just remember Roy having his own bat and breaking it on a, on a swing. He did right before the uh, right before the big moment. Now, Joe, here we go. We're going to delve into your depth of baseball knowledge. Do you know the natural? The movie was based on a book from like the 30s or 40s. I actually did not know that. Okay, well, it's very interesting because if you ever find that book, at the end of the book, the natural, Roy strikes out and he gets kicked out of baseball. Wow, it's a little different, little different ending in the book. Okay, so anyway, we are here to talk about The Sandlot, 1993, and what's interesting about this movie in particular is because it's not really of either of our times. It's a little before your time. Like, you were born, what year were you born, Joe? I was born, I would, I'm about to say, yeah, 12 years after that movie came out. <laughs> yeah, I was 22 when this movie came out. In fact, I actually saw it. My my wife, Diana, we got married back in 1997 or 96, and this movie we saw on our second date. So I was in my 20s. Joe wasn't even born. This movie is not of either one of us, but here we are talking about it on a podcast. How did you first find out about this movie? How did it become part of your life? I watch a lot of MLB Network, and they have this thing called Bleacher Features every Sunday because of Sunday Night Baseball for ESPN. Sometimes if if some teams I don't really watch, like like some of the teams back back east, there are teams. I would watch every team, but back then I wouldn't watch very many teams. I'd just watch the Angels and some others. And 
there was this one thing always at 5 p.m. on Sunday, and they would have movies on. They'd have, like, the Benchwarmers, Little Big League, and they'd have all those movies on. That's how I got to know the Sandlot. Okay, now, like I said, I saw it in my 20s, and I remember thinking, okay, that's kind of a cute movie. I liked it. I would not have predicted it would become this beloved classic. And it's funny, over the last 10, 15 years, I'm sure you're aware of this, they show, sometimes stadiums will do promotions where they show a, uh, a movie, baseball movie after the game, and all the fans can come down on the field. Have you you've been to one of those before? I actually have not, but Angels... They have done The Incredibles one time, which isn't a baseball movie. I read I read this somewhere that, that that's a big thing now. They invite all the fans onto the field and they show a movie. And apparently The Sandlot is like the most beloved movie that they show. They always get huge attendance for those games because everyone knows this movie. So apparently this is like the biggest, you know, nostalgia movie of kids who grew up in the 90s. So again, it was news to me when I kind of learned about that. But here you are on the other end. It came long before you were. So here we are talking about this movie today. <laughs> yep. All right, so let's walk people through this movie. Um, I'm assuming uh, most people who are listening have seen this movie before, but we'll just walk through it and kind of talk about why it's so beloved and what it means to so many people. Are you ready, Joe? Do you have anything else you wanted to go into before we dive into the legend of Benny the Jet Rodriguez? Uh, no. All right, so this movie opens in, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a sports writer. His name is Scott Smalls. He arrives at Dodger Stadium, and he's sitting down, and he's just reminiscing about his time in the past. He's talking about, um, you know, all these great baseball things he's seen over the years, all these great baseball stories, and they immediately, this movie, it's like a love letter to baseball history. They start with Babe Ruth in the 1932 World Series, which... I know this is a gimme question. You know about Babe Ruth and the 32 World Series, right? Of course I do. <laughs> okay. Now, on, on, in your personal opinion, do you think Babe Ruth called his shot, or you think, do you think they made that up? No evidence, so I'm going to not take a side here. <laughs> Come on, you're supposed to debate me, Joe. Okay. I guess, <laughs> I, I guess I'll say yes, then. Okay. Now, I mean, no one knows for sure, but yeah, it is this famous baseball legend where Babe Ruth pointed to the bleachers, called his shot, and hit the game-winning home run. And that's a lead into this movie that, that, you know, legends do these things that they'll be remembered for forever. And when you immediately flash back to this story this guy Smalls tells about his childhood, and we go back to, uh, what, do you know where this movie is set, Joe? I actually do not know where that movie was set. I think it's somewhere in the valley. I think it's California, but I'm not 100% sure. But also, you grew up around here, and I didn't, so I'm, it's possible maybe you would have known that. I'm not sure. They don't really say it in the movie where it is. Yeah. Okay, so we go back to, I'm going to say the valley. We'll just say we're in California, 1962, and uh, this guy Smalls is doing a flashback, and he's talking. It's, this movie is really kind of like a reminiscent movie, reminiscence, where it's kind of like The Wonder Years. Have you ever seen The Wonder Years, Joe? I have not. Okay, do you know what it is, even? No. Okay, it's a TV show from the 90s where this guy talked about his childhood and everything was narrated, so it's kind of the same thing. Okay, so we go back to 1962 and we see this guy's uh, childhood, and it's just kids playing, what is it, uh, not stickball, just uh, like a pickup game. Do, do kids still play pickup games now, Joe, or is everything through Little League and Travel Ball? Uh, most things are through Little League and Travel Ball. For me, I have a little squishy little angel ball that I'll throw against the wall sometimes, and that's really just me. Yeah. 
I don't grow up in a baseball neighborhood. That's the main reason. I don't think there really are baseball neighborhoods anymore, to be honest. Do you know anybody who even does that kind of stuff anymore? No. Well, now it's Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We well in the growing up in the when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, kids would just go out and play, gather a bunch of your friends, and usually get a wiffle ball bat and a tennis ball and just go play baseball. We didn't have the Fortnite, so <laughs> that was about our all the only entertainment we had back then. Yeah. But yeah, so this movie is very uh very true to its time. This is what kids would have done back in the days. You just go out in the neighborhood in the summer and you'd find kids and just see if you could get nine and get together for a game. So but again, I know my son is the same as you. Like, we always are telling him to go outside and play baseball with his friends. He's like, well, nobody does that. <laughs> so, different times. Yeah, it's definitely different times. Well, they, the parents keep the kids busier now. That's what they always say, that parents like to make sure the kids are busy during the summer. Uh, yeah, I guess you'd say that. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about this for a second. I know you play travel ball and stuff like that. How many games per week do you play, and how often do you practice? Because I know you are quite involved in baseball. What would be like the, what would a, a typical kid be like now? Well, for us, if you were playing travel ball for our team, since we are just starting up um, 14U, we don't have a game yet. We will have one on Saturday, I believe. Okay. Most of the time for us, it's two practices a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And in a month, it's basically one scrimmage, one tournament, or something like that, and then you get two weeks off. And for me, it's workouts, too. Yeah, so how often do they have you doing workouts? I know they had they, that's pretty common for travel ball. They have off-day workouts. Um, well, actually, for us, we used to work out at, um, at a facility in Upland called PFA, mm-hmm. run by Dave Coggin, a Phillies pitcher, also at was the one that acted, acting like Dan Plesak punched him in the face. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we used to do that. It stopped in January, and now myself and I have uh, two teammates that will go, we work out at the same facility, and then we have others that work out at different places. Do you just play for one team at a time, or do kids play on multiple teams nowadays? Um... We had one kid that was part of Pony All-Stars, and, well, he's not on Pony All-Stars anymore. So, But there were times when people were playing on two teams, but right now nobody is. That was always one of the things when I was player agent Little League that we'd always run into problems, that kids would be playing on two teams at once, and their manager didn't know it. So, like, the parents would be trying to hide it from the manager, like, oh, my kid is playing four games this weekend, and I'm not going to tell anybody. to try. And So that's how these kids end up with, like, burnt-out arms and stuff. Have you seen stories like that? I surely have. Yeah. But not you. You're protecting your arm. You're a pitcher. I'm trying my best to. Okay. Now... Do you throw curveballs? It is the age-old wisdom that kids should not be throwing curveballs. What, what you, what's your stance on that? For me, I'm going to just follow the words uh, that James Andrews said um, for Pitch Smart. For all kids on this podcast, you should not start throwing curveballs until you start shaving. <laughs> so you're not shaving, right? So you're not throwing curveballs? No, I'm not. Okay. You know, I just... We're getting in baseball technicalities here, but I just read a study recently, not to go over James Andrews' head, that curveballs are actually not any more dangerous than normal pitches if you have good mechanics. I think I read that somewhere. But again, I, I it is very sage wisdom you are offering the youth of America, my hundreds and hundreds of young listeners that I have on this episode. Yeah. 
Okay, so back to the movie. So the story about Scotty Smalls, he's moved to this new town in, we'll say, California. And like he's comes from a split family. His mom, his dad died. His mom has remarried this guy, Bill, who's like a huge baseball fan, baseball memorabilia collector. And uh, Smalls wants to learn how to play catch. He wants to be able to fit in with the other kids to play baseball, but he can't because he's just kind of a spaz, which you and I never had that problem because we were star players, right, Joe? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, were you always good at baseball? Because I, I, I will sell you a little bit for people. Joe was always playing about two, eight, two years above his age against older kids. So you, right from the start, were one of the bigger, stronger kids out there. Um, there was this one year where I wasn't very good, but there are a lot of other years I was very good. Yeah, I remember you were a nine-year-old playing on, like, the 11-year-old All-Stars or something like that. That's when I first met playing you. Playing on the 10s. The 10s, yeah, okay. So, so Scotty Smalls, the opposite of Joe and me, this little nerdy kid who just is not good with baseball, he comes to the new town and he wants to meet these kids, and he goes out there, he goes to the Sandlot, he finds this place where they play every day, the Sandlot, and he wants to play, and he's just, what would be the right word, Joe? I think not good would be the right word. Yeah, um... <laughs> The main thing is when he went out to the sandlot, there was a ball that was in his way, and he booted it, and then he couldn't throw the ball 10 feet, which is pretty bad. So from a coaching perspective, what, what would you offer Scotty Smalls? What would be your advice to turn him into a productive little leaguer here? Um, Start doing things baseball-related, and <laughs> you'll probably get better at them as we go along. Go outside and stop playing with your erector set. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Good point. You see, the old broadcast team is coming back here like, oh, Joe, looks like Smalls took a fly ball off his head. What do you think he should have done there? Did he did he not get under it enough? What happened there? He ran backwards and fell on his back. That is not an approved move. That is not how Cam Bedrosian teaches kids how to catch fly balls, right? Uh, no. <laughs> then again, he's a relief pitcher, so I'm not sure how many fly balls this guy's catching. Home runs into the bullpen? <laughs> well, there you go. See? I think that's pretty much it. All right. So, Cam Bedrosian's fly ball catching tips from Joe. All right. So, yeah. So, Smalls goes out in the field and plays with these other kids, and he's just terrible. He gets hit on the head with a ball. He, uh, in one of the funnier scenes in the movie, he has no idea how to throw the ball to, to someone. He doesn't really get how his footwork works. And he has to what? He runs up and he hands the ball to the pitcher from the left field? Uh, Yes. That was the first time he was with them. Yeah. I am proud to say I coached a lot of kids in Little League over the years. Some were very good and some were very bad. I don't think I ever coached anyone who was bad as Scotty Smalls. So right off the bat, he's, he's, he's working against the curve here. Yeah, he sure is. Want me to tell you my favorite Little League story, the kid that, that infuriated me the most, Joe? Go right ahead. Okay. One year in minor A, it was the first year where we had kid pitch, and my team was terrible. We were we were like 0 and 9. We just couldn't win anything. And then there's one game we had a chance to win. We're up in the last inning. We're up like like at 10 to 8 with two outs in the last inning, and their batter hits a fly ball to my left fielder, and it would end the game, Joe. This would have been my first win. Do you understand? That was a big deal. Yeah, it would be. Where do you think my left fielder was looking? Down at the grass or into the crowd? He was turned with his back to the field, looking out in the parking lot, looking at cars. <laughs> no clue that the ball was coming. It hit near him on the grass, rolled to the wall. He still 
did not know that the ball was there. He was still looking at cars. And anyway, we lost. It was a three-run home run, and we lost. That's pretty sad. I'm not going to name names, Joe, but I would have, like, you would have been, like, five years old. I would have traded for you. You could have been my left fielder. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we kicked that kid out of the league. We invented some performance-enhancing drug scandal and getting kicked out. So it worked out for the best. <laughs> so so anyway, Scott Smalls, he embarrasses himself in front of the Sandlot kids, and all the kids laugh at him. But there's one kid. There's one kid, the neighborhood legend, the best kid in the league, the Kelly Leak of the Sandlot kids. Who is the big star kid, Joe? Benny Rodriguez, or Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, if you want to know his full name. So Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, this older Mexican kid, probably, is he like a, maybe a year older than everyone else? He's like huge compared to these little kids. Isn't he like around the same age as um, Porter? He probably is, but he just looks bigger. Yeah, he does. Maybe he's like Albert Pujols and he's older than he says he is. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I was hoping you'd like that one. <laughs> Joe's an Angel fan, so I'm taking a dig at his uh, star player here. Ah, uh, no, the star player is Mike Trout, bud. <laughs> I know. Mike, I will say, I am from Seattle. I grew up in, in the Kingdom, and like you said, Griffey is probably your favorite all-time player. I think, personally, Mike Trout's the best player I've ever seen, so I will tip my cap to the Angels. He's the best I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so anyway, uh, Benny feels bad. Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez feels bad that this little spaz has come to his town and, and tried to play baseball and is trying to fit in. And so Benny's like, he introduces, there's, is there, there's a, is there a reason Smalls gets introduced to the kids? I kind of forget. Or is ben, Benji just say, here, we're going to, this kid's going to join us. Benny picked Scotty Smalls to join, to join the Sandlot team because the team had eight players and they needed a ninth guy. And well, Scotty Smalls was their ninth player. <laughs> there you go. So, so there you go. Just out of sheer numbers, Smalls was invited to participate. They needed the ninth. Yeah. It does make you wonder, were there any other kids in this town they could have invited? Oh, <laughs> um, well, they didn't bring that up. So. <laughs> Maybe there were only eight kids in this town. Maybe it's not California. Maybe it's like North Dakota or something where nobody lives. <laughs> that, that, that probably wouldn't be true. <laughs> Since um, Benny's a Dodger fan, but I mean. I don't know. That's true. Maybe the Dodgers are big in North Dakota. Who are we to judge? I don't know. I'm not going to answer that because I'm, I'm not from North Dakota. Joe doesn't want angry letters from North Dakota pouring in. <laughs> Got a lot of listeners out there in Fargo. Okay, so this is where we meet the entire team. Benji, the big tough kid, pulls little Scotty Smalls ahead, aside and introduces him to the rest of the gang. And because, again, I know your mom says you do impressions of the rest of the Sandlot kids, why don't you kind of explain to people who the other eight members of the Sandlot All-Stars team are? Well, if for first, you've got the Hambino, also known as Hamilton Porter. Mm-hmm. He was their main catcher and created the funny quote, if my dog was as ugly as you, I'd shave his butt and make him walk backwards. <laughs> yes, okay. There were other players on the team. I, don't, I honestly don't. Oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll lead you into them. How about the twins, the uh, Timmy and Tommy Timmons? Yes, um, they. the only thing I know about them is that after um, the Sandlot broke up, they started their own business for architect and created mini malls. Okay, well, that's good. And there's Squints, the kid with the glasses. Yep. 
the one who kissed Wendy Peppercorn. <laughs> yeah, we'll be getting to that scene soon enough. I'm very curious about your thoughts on that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, the kid who says yeah, yeah every time. Um, who would that be? <laughs> I don't remember his first name. I just know they call him yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, you're the one who was doing impressions of these kids. Were you making stuff up, Joe? No, I just don't remember players sometimes. Okay. Well, there's Bertram, the big tall kid. Yep. Okay, and then you got Benny and a kid. There was another kid named Kenny De Nunez. That was the pitcher that wore the, that wore the Kansas City or the Monarchs hat, I believe. Yes, very good. I mean, I'm impressed you knew that, the Kansas City Monarchs. Well done. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Hamilton, the we'll just say he's a large kid. They put him at catcher. In baseball movies, they always take the fat kid and put him at catcher. Why do they do that? In real life, you wouldn't do that because the catcher can't move. Or you could put him at first base. It really doesn't make a difference. But for catchers, the big people kind of get behind there because, I mean, one, you've got a bigger target and and you can block a lot more baseballs than the real skinny fast guys. But you and I know that half the time in Little League, the ball bounces in and goes all over the place, and the big kid can't run after it. Like, in the Bad News Bears, they have the fat kid Engelberg back there. In here, they have Porter. And I just think, in, in real life, like, if strategy, we're talking strategy now, Joe. I'm not putting my biggest kid at catcher. It's kind of a waste of that position. If I were to put a big kid somewhere, it'd probably end up being first base. If, if I have a kid who's big and slow, like, let's say, Albert Pujols, I'm putting him at first, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to keep digging on Albert Pujols' jokes here. I'm just letting you know. Okay. <laughs> okay, so so Benny introduces Smalls to the gang, and they, they kind of adopt him, even though there's a horrifically embarrassing moment here at the start where uh, Hamilton, the redhead uh, large child, is doing an impression of Babe Ruth, the great Bambino, and Scotty Smalls does not know who the great Bambino is. Now, would that horrify you if a kid didn't know who Babe Ruth was, Joe? Uh, yeah. It definitely would, because if you don't know Babe Ruth, my straight guess is I don't know if this guy has read a page about baseball before. Would would he be an L7 weenie at that point? <laughs> yeah, but the funny thing is, I'm going to bring this up. Um, okay. For everybody, for anybody that didn't know, I know I'm going to go off topic here. Um, Mariano Rivera, a great Yankees pitcher from Panama, if you didn't know who he is, all-time safe leader. He um went to spring training camp at 16 and 90-something, I don't remember. And some of his teammates start talking about Babe Ruth, and he's like, who's Babe Ruth? And then some of the and his teammates are like, are you serious? You don't know who Babe Ruth is? He's like, yes, I don't know who Babe Ruth is. So, I mean, maybe that's just plays I don't know about baseball but have hidden talent. Hmm. And maybe Yankees players are just terrible. Sorry, I'm just taking digs at everybody now. Remember, I'm a I'm a Mariners fan. We never win anything, so all I can do is take digs at other players. Hey, you still had 0-1, but but then you lost to the. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, that was the year that Seattle set the all-time wins record, and then we lost in the playoffs to the Yankees. Yeah, thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, so. Uh, he does not know who Babe Ruth is. And this will become a running trope through this whole movie. I'll kind of race through it a little bit here that, you know, Smalls is introduced to the team and he goes out and plays and Benny kind of teaches him how to catch. 
And it's amazing because all of a sudden Smalls catches one ball and he's an amazing player all of a sudden, which you and I know, Joe, that's not the way it works. Like, he's still getting hit in the head with the ball every third or fourth fly ball. Yep. Ben does have a great swing, though. <laughs> and he hit the ball right in his glove. Yeah, Benny is amazing. So so they start playing, and Smalls becomes a part of the gang. They have nine, and this is like the local neighborhood Little League team. But there's a big problem that in the field they play, they have this thing called the Sandlot, which is like this mythical area in town where all the kids go and play. Behind the Sandlot is a fence, and if you hit it over the fence, it goes into this guy's yard, and the guy's got the scariest dog ever called the Beast. And this is like this local legend. If the ball goes over the fence... You're never going to get it because there are all these stories. What are the stories? Like the kids have died going back there? There was one kid who ever made an effort to go back and um, get a ball back, but the beast killed him. So, Or ate him or whatever, whatnot. <laughs> so anyway, there's a big scary dog back there. The kids are all terrified of it. And as the movie will go along, basically what's going to happen, I'll just kind of spoil it for people, is that Smalls will go home. One time they'll need a ball. He'll take his stepdad's Babe Ruth ball. He's got a ball autographed from 1927 from Babe Ruth himself. They're going to lose it over the fence, and the dog will will get it instead, and it'll basically become the last half of the movie will be a showdown. The kid's trying to get the ball back from this horrible, horrible dog. Yeah, the dog was horrible. And they made efforts to try to get it back, like an airborne attack. The beast will never expect it. And then they also had the little, like, air thing, the little fan pipe thing, vacuum, whatnot, um, mm -hmm. with the catcher's mitt. And then they also had Small's um, little robotic thing. It's like a little car that goes and picks up baseballs. It's, and it has, like, a little catapult. Now, do you like those scenes, the beast scenes, where they're trying to get the ball back from him? I, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine that definitely uh, courts the uh, youth market. That's why this movie was such a big hit, because you have these uh, scenes where the kids are trying to get the ball back from the beast are just really funny and, and silly. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through that, because, again, this movie is about baseball, but there's some other scenes in here that are just as funny that I think are more interesting to talk about than the baseball scenes. Let's talk about some of those, Joe. How about it? All right. Let's talk about the time they go up into uh, the treehouse. I'll paint the picture for people where uh, Smalls doesn't know the story of the dog, who this horrible dog is over the fence. So the kids say, camp out. Or, uh, what do they say? Camp out? Uh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. So they pull him up into this treehouse. For some reason, they have this treehouse that overlooks the beast, which seems like a really good way to give a kid a heart attack. They can see that dog. But anyway, they go up there, and this is where we learn not only does Smalls not know who Babe Ruth is, he also doesn't know what a s'more is. And then Ham Porter ends up teaching him how to do it. <laughs> this is also where we get the quote, the very, the most famous quote from the Sandlot that Hamilton says to Smalls. Do you know what that would be? You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is I'd seen that that slogan on a t-shirt many, many times over the years, but I couldn't remember what scene it was from in the movie. So I finally watched it the other day. I'm like, oh, it's from the s'mores. That's where he says it. No, you're right. You're right. Now, you, you of course, know how a s'more is made, right? You didn't have to learn from this movie? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, just making sure. I wasn't sure if that was a lost art that kids in the in the 2000s wouldn't have anymore. Oh, no. We haven't lost it. We haven't lost it. Okay. Now we're going to get to the scene that's going to be really fun to talk about, the Wendy Peppercorn scene. Um, I guess I'll just... 
throw a little weed weed sentence on it. So it was it was one afternoon where all the kids got up, went to the pool, and obviously I'm Squint, who like I I think you know where I'm going on this one. Um, <laughs> Squints is awkward. Awkward. He Squints is he likes girls and he's charmed by them, but he is not. He does not have much game. He does not have any reason to approach the beautiful lifeguard Wendy Peppercorn. So what they do is that um they get in the pool. Obviously, they mess around for a little bit of time, and then Squints comes out and jumps into the pool. I don't know if he jumped in the deep end off a um off a diving board or not. But he did jump into the deep end. That's all I know. And he was sinking at the bottom of the pool like he was drowning. And so Wendy ends up taking off her sunglasses, dot, 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 her whistle, her her sunscreen. Well, the sunscreen bottle she was holding, I think she had one. I don't know. Um, And then she jumps in the pool and tries to save Squints, which she does successfully. Puts him on the um, the concrete right by the pool. Just breathes into his mouth a little bit, and um, on like the sixth or the seventh breath, Squint <laughs> turned a little life-saving thing into a big smooch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was the day Squints became a legend. He faked drowning to get the. She must be a good ten years older than him, or something like that. Now she's probably in high school, so she's probably eight years. But yeah, he, the little nerdy kid fakes drowning to get a kiss from the hot lifeguard. So, it is the day that Squints became a legend. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm. Uh, were you a fan of that scene, Joe, or are you more of a fan of the baseball scenes? Um, I'm more of a fan of the baseball scenes, but I love that scene. Alright, so again, if you, if people like baseball movies, this is a good one. If people like lifeguard movies, this is a good one as well. So it just, it appeals to people for many reasons. Yeah, it sure does. Okay, so we have the Wendy Peppercorn scene, and there's another... Again, this movie is ostensibly about baseball, but it's really about just kids growing up in the 60s, which I think why it really resonated with so many people in the 90s, because it's like from 30 years before, it's their childhood. So, again, there's all these these little vignettes of these kids doing crazy things in the 60s, and then the, uh, the uh, carnival scene, Joe. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this one, where they... Tell us what happens, why the kids get sick on the carnival rides. So... They head out to this carnival after celebrating a win against the um one of the other teams that are in that area. Definitely had the nice little rich bikes and all that stuff. Um, so they go out to celebrate as Bertram gives the squad some big chief, which is chewing tobacco because to look like Babe Ruth, I guess. And then they go on this ride where it takes you around in circles and then you're spinning like a UFO. And about so so much long in, um, all the players start feeling sick to their stomach, and before you know it, they start puking. <laughs> I'm guessing from your reaction, you like this scene. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, to spell it out for home, there's a scene where these kids are trying chewing tobacco for the first time because they want to be big leaguers, and they go on a spinny ride at the carnival, and spinny rides plus your first time chewing tobacco equals massive amounts of vomit. So it's a it's a fun scene for a 12-year-old. <laughs> yes, it is. Now, you have not tried chewing tobacco, right, Joe? No, and I will never do <laughs> 
That's an excellent answer. Take Okay, there's one thing we can impart to you. Do not ever do that because I was shocked when I played. Like we got up to like 15, 16, 17 years old and like half the kids on my team were chewing tobacco by then. And it was the weirdest thing. Like, why would you even start? But it's like a thing. I don't know if people know this, that baseball players kind of want to do that because they see older players do it. So it becomes a thing in their late teens where, like, I'd be 18 and I had a, I'm like a 16-year-old teammate. And he's like, can you go to 7-Eleven and buy me chewing tobacco? And I'm like, I'm not buying that crap for you. So it's like, it's a very prominent thing. So I'm, I'm glad to see, Joe, you're on the straight and narrow. Stay away. Stay away from drugs. Just stay away from them. Very good. See, it's from Joe to the youth, to all my, my listeners in North Dakota, stay off drugs. <laughs> so oh, you, you mentioned that there's a scene in this movie where the, the Sandlot kids play against a bunch of other Sandlot kids. Apparently those are like the other nine kids in town. So there's actually 17 kids in this town. Yeah. Well, if you're excluding Sky Smalls at that point. That's right. And I, re- I usually do. I don't care what kind of tutelage he's getting. He still stinks. Yes, he does. So these are these adventures of these kids and all these, I mean, for maybe you probably will know this movie for my older listeners. It's kind of like Stand By Me. There's a lot of nostalgia. Have you seen that movie, Stand By Me? I'm curious. I surely have not. Yeah, that's about kids growing up in the 50s, same type of deal. But all these like little nostalgia moments go away as we get to the plot of the movie, The Last Half Hour, where Smalls has this ball autographed by Babe Ruth and they lose it. It goes over the fence into the beast yard and he's in a uh, deep doo-doo because his stepdad, that was like his stepdad's most favorite possession and his stepdad didn't know they were playing with it and now it's lost. So this is where the dramatic tension comes in the last third of the movie. How to get that ball back from that dog? Well, I mean, Scotty Smalls had a dream, but the main dream was Benny's dream when Babe Ruth, I guess, walked into his bedroom and started talking to him about heroes get remembered and legends never die. So, Has Babe Ruth ever appeared to you in a dream, Joe? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm just curious now that we're talking about this. Are you a baseball memorabilia, like baseball card collector? I am a baseball card collector. How much, off the top of your head, do you think an autographed 1927 Babe Ruth baseball would be worth nowadays? Uh, it'd be worth maybe. I'm just throwing a straight guess. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm going to say maybe $20,000, $30,000. Yeah, I bet that's probably accurate, probably somewhere in that price range, because in this movie, it's the 60s, so that ball is only 30, 35 years old. Now it would be, what, 80 years old, 90 years old, so... Uh, what What's the most expensive baseball card you own? I'm curious. The funny thing is I actually do not know that answer. Really? The most expensive one I own probably is a um a David Ortiz patch card. Okay. Is that like a rookie card? It is actually a card from 2013 postseason. Okay. So it's, it's rare. That's probably why. Yeah. It was a 2 of 99. I will tell you, when I was a kid, my brother had a 1968 Johnny Bench rookie card. Do you know who Johnny Bench is? Of course I do. Uh, see, these are stupid questions. But yeah, for people who don't know, he was the most famous catcher of his era from the 70s. He was on the Reds. My brother had his baseball card, which was worth hundreds of dollars back then. I don't even know what it's worth now. And I had some Ricky Henderson rookie cards, and I had a Robin Yount rookie card. Uh, the, again, stupid question. You know who Robin Yount was, right? Of course I do. Okay. So we'll just stop with this. So anyway, uh, the baseball memorabilia is over the yard. And this is where, like you said, Babe Ruth appears to Benny, the star player in a dream. 
and tells him that he needs to go over the wall and get that ball because the kids have tried all these things and nothing works. And uh, and ba Babe Ruth of all people coming in and offering life advice, you know, works well for the story. But like, do you know Babe Ruth's life story, Joe? Being born from a, a poor family, signing with the Orioles. And then going to the Red Sox, playing for the Red Sox, and getting sold to the Yankees and becoming one of, if not the greatest baseball player to ever live. Yes, but along the way, he also made very many poor life choices, like the drinking and stuff. Yep, and died of throat cancer in 1948. He did. He, he died a very sad life. So I, did, I just think it's odd that anybody who knows baseball history would find it odd that Babe Ruth, of all people, <laughs> is appearing to people offering them life advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so so Babe Ruth's advice really comes down to jump over the fence and get the ball. So <laughs> I, I mean, that's one way to do it. So he, he like Joe said, uh, Babe offers his kid advice. He says, you know, everybody gets one chance to do something great in their life. This is your one chance. Don't pass it up. And he's like, uh, remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Legends never die. And heroes get remembered. And then as he's leaving the room, there's a little inside baseball joke, which I know there's no way you don't get this joke where Babe Ruth picks up a baseball card in, in Benny's in his room and he says, I think I should hold on to this. What baseball card is that, Joe? Uh, the funny thing is I do not know that answer. How do you not know this, Joe? Joe, Joe, you're killing me here. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> it's Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron's uh, baseball card. Oh, that's right. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so at least humor me and tell me why. Why it would be a big deal that Babe Ruth might want to remember Henry Aaron? Because um, that's the man who broke his home run record. Very good. Okay, you've salvaged yourself. Good job. Yeah, so there's a little inside joke where Babe Ruth sees a Hank Aaron baseball card. He says, oh, I should keep this. And, yeah, that's the guy who will one day break his record. So Babe Ruth, you know, goes off into the ether and... and uh, fades away and this is where we get the big moment where Benny Rodriguez will become a legend and why don't you explain to the people what happens here as Benny races into the yard with the dog to get that ball back well first thing before he even went into the yard he got some new shoes I don't know what they are because I'm not from the 1960s <laughs> they were shoes that would make a person run faster and jump higher mm -hmm. so Benny goes in into the dog's yard I, that's what I'm going to just call it for right now. So he gets a foot race to the ball, and Benny obviously gets it. And, well, now it was marathon racing throughout the whole city or wherever it was. There was a Founders Parade, and I just don't know where it's from. Um, <laughs> That was one of the places they ran through because, yeah, yo. Um. <laughs> Yeah, the, let's summarize this. I'll summarize this real quick. What Joe's saying is, yeah, Benny grabs the ball and escapes. The dog runs after him and jumps over the fence and chases him. And they literally run through the entire city at this point. The chase goes on for about 10 minutes. Yeah, it sure does. So it was kind of a foot race along the city. And um, they're running through auditoriums and founders parades. And then Benny tells the whole game to, to meet him back at the Sandlot. That's the thing that this horrible dog has been chasing this kid all over town. At the end of the chase, the, they jump back into his yard, and the fence literally falls on the poor dog, and he's crushed, and he needs help. It's a Now it's a mission of mercy if they could rescue this poor beast. Which um, Sky Smalls tried to pick up the uh, fence and asked Benny for help, and they did so successfully, and, well, there you have it. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's good that Scotty Smalls is good at one thing. He can pick up a fence. So we found his one thing he's useful for. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of the end of the movie, and there's a kind of a nice little moment. It kind of turns kind of nostalgic as they rescue the dog. They get the ball from the yard. They get the Babe Ruth ball, and they rescue the dog, and the dog likes them. He licks them because he saved, they saved his life. And then the owner of the house comes out, and it's this old blind man played by James Earl Jones comes out. Who's out here? Who's playing around with my dog? And they start talking to him, and, and they're like, well, we had to get the ball back. And the owner says, well, that's the first time anybody's ever got a ball back from Hercules. I'm impressed. Now, do you know the actor here who plays this blind guy? I'm curious. Did you just say it was James Earl Jones? <laughs> well, you cheated. <laughs> I did say that, and you have excellent hearing, so good job. That's now. Do you know what James Earl Jones is famous for? Who he, he does? He's a famous voice in movie history. Um, that would be Darth Vader, my friend. <laughs> Are you condescending me? <laughs> no, no, nice job. Yeah, he's Darth Vader. He's also in Field of Dreams, your other baseball movie you just saw. Mm-hmm. As Terrence Mann. Yes, and I read some trivia somewhere that in real life James Earl Jones hates baseball. Wow. And there's been two very famous baseball movies. Yeah. So anyway, he comes out, and James Earl Jones has been living there with his dog, and he's like, why don't you knock on the door? I would have got your ball for you. And they all go inside, and he, he has them come in and tell the story of the baseball. And it's kind of a neat little moment here with this. He's this old guy, and he's like, oh, who signed this ball? And they're like, Babe Ruth. And he's like, George? George signed it? And it turns out he knew Babe Ruth from back in the day. Which would be pretty awesome if... If you went back then to be with the greatest baseball player that ever lived. Well, yeah, I mean, you think this movie is set in the 60s, so it's only 30 years after Babe Ruth, so he easily could have known Babe Ruth. Although, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really ramp up the trivia here, Joe. I'm going to hit you with a really hard question, okay? Okay. I will be very impressed if you can get this one. All right. So, uh, James Earl Jones, this older black man, is talking about how he knew Babe Ruth and, you know, I was a better hitter than him. Everyone knew me. I hit all these home runs. I would have broken the record. I was the best home run hitter of my day. Who do you think he is based on? There was a very famous baseball player from that era, a black player who wasn't allowed to play in the majors, but who was the home run king. And everyone knew at the time he was the best home run hitter in the world. Do you know who that is? Um, that's a hard question. I'm just kidding. It's really not. That man is Josh Gibson. <laughs> yes. Yes, Joe. I'm giving you a high five. You got that. Well done. <laughs> I hope my listeners realize not many 12-year-olds would know Josh Gibson. Well, I mean, there was a famous legend where Satchel Paige walks uh, bases loaded. Gibson seems down by one, but Paige struck him out on three fastballs. Oh, yeah. No, Paige, arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, even back in the time, the day they would have said that. Okay, so, yeah, so so basically this old guy, I'm going to say foe Josh Gibson, says, oh, well, I knew Babe Ruth, and, you know, I feel bad that your ball got chewed up, but here's one that I have that's autographed by every single player on the 1927 Yankees, including Lou Gehrig, who I'm not even going to lower myself to asking if you know who Lou Gehrig is. Of course you do, right? Yes. So anyway, uh, yeah, so he trades them this ball with every single one of the 27 Yankees, and he's like, give this to your stepdad instead of this chewed-up Babe Ruth ball. And the kids are like, well, why would you give this to me? And he's like, oh, I got tons of stuff. He's like, just, I'm an old blind man. I have nothing going for me. Just come and sit around and talk to me about baseball. 
and I'll give you this ball for free. You can keep it. Just keep me company and talk about the old days. So that's how it goes. And like this guy would love you, Joe. You could come and talk to this guy about baseball all day and all day long, right? Yes, I would love that. <laughs> That'd be cool. No, even it was the same with me. I just loved baseball history as a kid. Not, I wouldn't have known people like Josh Gibson and stuff like you do. So you're years ahead of where I was, but. I'm going to throw one other baseball name out there for you, just because I I uh, want to get your opinion. Ty Cobb. What do you think of Ty Cobb from the 1900s? Um, my word is going to be very limited because, no, I didn't see him play. But, I mean, if you can have 4,000 hits and um, steal a ton of bases, yeah, you're pretty good. Um, and to get into the first Hall of Fame class of the first five men. I'm going to drop a little. This has nothing to do with this podcast, but I'm going to drop some advice to you. Do you like reading books about baseball history? Yes. There's a really good book about Ty Cobb called Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty or something like that. It just came out a couple years ago, and it basically talks about all the... For people who don't know, there's this reputation this guy Ty Cobb has as like the worst human being alive. The book spells out that most of that was invented by people who didn't like him after he died. They spread that rumor, just make people hate him. And that in real life, he was actually very nice and very highly respected. And at the time, like he was the most popular player in baseball for many years, even until his death. So if you want to read a book that might change your opinion on baseball history, read that book, Joe. I will look at it. Okay. So anyway, this is the end of the movie. The kids have got their ball back. They made friends with the old blind man. And we get a, a little epilogue at the end of the movie that that was the day that Benny Rodriguez became a legend. And then we hear these stories about, you know, we all grew up and we all, you know, eventually moved out of the sandlot and people moved away. Some people, like you said, the twins became what, architects? Yes, they did. And, and they became multimillionaires by making mini malls. And Hamilton Porter. What did Hamilton, the catcher Ham, grow up to be? A wrestler. <laughs> yes. And what was his name? The Great Ham Bino. <laughs> yes. So, again, the whole face of this movie, this guy Hamilton becomes a pro wrestler, and they all age out. And it's this neat little nostalgic movie about the 60s, although there's a nice cap at the end where, again, we, we started the movie with, with Smalls. He's a sports writer now in the, I think, 1990s. I guess it was 93, so he was, he was in the 90s. And he's working at Dodger Stadium, and he's talking about his friend, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, how he became a legend. And we look down on the field. And literally, there's his friend Benny, who was the one player, the nicest kid, the biggest star, grew up to play for the Los Angeles Dodgers, apparently. That is indeed true. Yes, and and we end the movie with Smalls staring there, staring down, watching his friend, and then we he's he's like, you know, Benny Rodriguez, great player. He's been hanging around for a while. He's lost some of his wheels, but he's still a legend. Apparently, we get the impression he was this great player for the Dodgers, and we end the movie with what I would argue the most exciting play in baseball. What is that, Joe? What happens at the end of the movie? A straight steal of home by Benny Rodri by Benny the Jet Rodriguez, now they called him. Not to mention that he, that he did against the Giants of all teams. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever personally seen a steal of home in, in Major League Baseball? I sure have by Jonathan VR. I've seen one by Jacoby Ellsbury, and there's more. I have never personally seen one, and it always galls me because that's something I wanted to see. Although, I have seen a triple play in person, so I was very excited about that. Not bad. I got all that stuff off YouTube, so... Oh, wait, YouTube? That's not live. Oh, okay. 
Well, I mean, live I saw Alberto Cayaspo steal home. That's it. Okay. I will tell you my triple play story just because you'll appreciate this. I was up in uh, Seattle. Seattle was playing the Oakland A's about 10 years ago, and I'd taken my kids to the game. It was their first time ever at Safeco Field, and it was like the second inning, and my kids weren't really paying attention, and all of a sudden the Mariners turned to triple play. And I'd never seen this before. I'm 35 years old now, and I start screaming, triple play, triple play, triple play, and I'm reaching over to tell someone, and my kid, my son Nick, is right next to me, and to this day, Nick still says, you screamed triple play in my ear, Dad. And I'm like, well, it was exciting. He's like, yeah, but it hurt my ear. So that's that's his story. He always remembers the triple play as the one time I yelled at him. <laughs> well, I mean, I, um, the Angels did get a triple play on them last year against the Twins. And, well, obviously the Mariners did indeed turn a triple play this year. <laughs> they did. It's our highlight. That's one way they show the Mariners highlight tape. They just show that one play. It's like 30 seconds long. All right, so anyway, that's the end of the movie. It's this wonderful nostalgia piece, the the Sandlot, and again, something that I saw on the the second date with my wife way back in the 90s, and again, I I would have had no idea this would grow into being this super famous, super legendary family kids baseball movie. Is it is that true like do, or people that you know, friends and stuff, is this do they all love the Sandlot? Um, well, I mean, I've got friends that aren't really a baseball follower so they probably haven't even watched the sandlot and well i mean for baseball fans that i know if they've watched the sandlot there are people that tell me that they like it okay good yeah it's a just one of those movies that everyone seems to like and again it took me years to kind of go back to it and and appreciate it on the level that other people do because like there's other baseball movies i think are stronger but you could argue this really isn't even a baseball movie it's more just kind of about kids growing up in the summer and like it's kind of like field of dreams i've always argued joe that Field of Dreams isn't really about it. It's not really a baseball movie. It's about a dad and his son. Yeah, I mean, you could say that, but he did build a baseball, a baseball field, and Jewish Joe ended up appearing on it. Sorry, I spoiled it for every, anybody who hasn't watched it. All right, I'm going to hit you with another baseball trivia question. In Field of Dreams, Shoeless Joe shows up, but there is a major, major flaw with the way they present Shoeless Joe. What did they get wrong in the details about Shoeless Joe in that movie? Um... Did they get him right-handed when he's left-handed? Yes, they did. He, They have him right-handed in the movie when Shoeless Joe, like the great Joe O'Regan, also a famous left-hander. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Except uh, I didn't take my cleats off for having blisters on my feet. Not yet. You're still young. There's still plenty of time in your career. Yeah, it probably won't happen, though. Okay, so before we sign off here, is there anything else you wanted to say about the movie? Anything that I neglected to point out? Any baseball trivia you feel the need to drop on me that I don't know? Nothing. All right, well, before we go, I have one last thing I have to say about this movie. And just, uh, do you know um, who the actor Dennis Leary is? I'm just curious. No, I do not, actually. He is the dad in this movie. He plays the stepdad, Bill, the one who has all the Yankee collection and is a big Babe Ruth fan. In real life, this is a great piece of trivia. That guy, Dennis Leary, is from Boston, is the world's biggest Boston Red Sox fan, and it must have killed him to have to play a Yankee fan in a movie. I thought Ben Affleck's the biggest Boston fan. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to quantify Boston Red Sox fandom, but yeah, that's, that's one fun thing to watch when you watch this movie is watch Dennis Leary gritting his teeth when he has to talk about the Yankees in a fawning way. <laughs> 
Okay, again, Joe, I just want to thank you for joining me. I, I will tell people this was Joe's first podcast he'd ever done. He, I'm sure he was a little nervous, and I, I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing your baseball knowledge because you're one of those kids I just always wanted to hang out with and talk baseball because, again, I don't know any 12-year-olds who know the entire life history of Josh Gibson. So <laughs> thank you for coming on, Joe. And I wasn't here insulting North Dakota people either. Yes. Yeah, if you're from North Dakota, please send your hate mail to me, Mario, not Joe. Joe had nothing to do with it. No, I didn't. Nope. No blame on me. I didn't do anything. All right. So anyway, thank you, Shoeless Joe O'Regan, for showing up on the podcast. And again, my name is Mario Lanza. If you guys need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more underrated or underloved movies, and I will find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Hey, you want a s'more? S'more what? No, no, you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? Shut up! You're killing me, Smalls.